Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. I'm sitting in a snowstorm in the Weddell Sea, staring out of my porthole at an expanse of white. There's no way to tell where the sea ice ends and the sky begins. We're still here in the Weddell Sea. We're still searching for Shackleton's ship Endurance. In this episode, you're going to hear from the captain of the ship, Captain Knowledge Bengu, the first black African ice pilot, the first black African Antarctic survey vessel skipper in history. You're also going to hear all about my trip to the ice. We climbed off. We got craned off the Agulhas 2, onto the ice pack. We walked around on ice that was about a metre thick, hopefully, well, a bit more, sometimes a bit less, as you'll hear. I talked to a couple of ice scientists. You're going to be hearing from leading ice and snow specialist, Steffi Arndt. She's a German scientist, as you'll hear. She's happiest on the ice. I just want to quickly address the fact that war has broken out in Europe. I'm down here, and some of you may think I'm merrily chirping on and posting on Instagram and TikTok and other platforms, and there's something somehow inappropriate and jarring about that. I am very, very aware of the bizarre resonance, the bizarre parallels between Shackleton leaving Britain at the beginning of August 1914 as Europe went to war, as the Austrians prepared to invade Ukrainian Russian-held territory, and us leaving and coming to the Weddell Sea and, and war breaking out in Eastern Europe again. We at Endurance 22 are an international expedition. We are a Russian national on the ship. We are keenly aware of what's going on. We're following it very closely and we are particularly missing friends, family, loved ones in Europe, some of them very close to where the fighting is happening. I'm sure everyone feels a feeling of helplessness as they watch these events unfold on their screens, but being down here you feel particularly remote and it's very scary. Everyone on the ship is now sort of trapped between wanting to make the most of this expedition, make the most of the archaeological and scientific opportunities presented to us, but also wanting to get back and hug loved ones and, and reconnect with our community, wherever it might be. We at History have made the decision that we will continue to broadcast. I hope we get the tone right. We will continue to post pictures of what's going on down here. We think it will hopefully be diverting and continue to be of interest. And I hope, like everyone else, in the hours and the days that follow, we will stagger towards some kind of resolution to this terrible situation. So here's a podcast you listen to. I'll go back to sitting in my cabin thinking about the outbreak of war in 1914, the decisions made by those old, pessimistic, terrified generals and politicians, terrified of looking weak, obsessed with projecting strength. Men who, in retrospect, should have realised how unbelievably lucky they'd been, how precious that peace was before 1914. Anyway, folks, I hope you enjoy this update from Endurance 22. Thank <laughs> you. 
So this is the this is the routine on board ship. We dive for maybe eight hours, at which point the ship has to be dead still in the ice flow. Uh, it's uh, it keeps its engines on, very just ticking over, and that clears little bits of ice that have broken off the pack, clears them away from a sort of pool at the stern of the ship, and that allows the drone to be lowered up and down in clear water. And those propellers also stop that ice freezing over because it puts little energy through the water. It keeps it moving, it doesn't give it a chance to freeze. During that time, when the AUV is diving, the rest of the ship's company are allowed out on the ice, and that's what I'm doing here now. You get winched over the side by a crane. You cling onto... Um, the crane is a, attached to a, a kind of rubber disc that is about a metre and a half wide and four people stand on it clinging to netting and then you, that is clipped onto a crane and then that crane um, delivers you over the side of the ship. And then you're on the ice and I've, I've done this several times now. The scientists immediately start beetling away doing their drilling, their core samples learning about the nature of the ice, how much snow there is in the ice, how much seawater leakage has been at the, out, the, the bottom of the ice, learning about the effect of climate change and the sea ice changing patterns. Uh, two scientists I'm looking at now are dragging a, a sled with some depth measuring equipment on there, so they're going to get a detailed survey of this particular ice flow. Just a layer of water. The edges, this, this flow could be about half a mile wide. It's like a huge sort of pancake of sea ice, really. Now, this one's quite flat. Shackton reports the pressure in the ice used to cause these huge sort of ridges to emerge up to six metres high. And in the far distance, I can see those, perhaps in a different ice flow. This one, though, is flat as a pancake. A few little, few little humps and bumps, maybe no more than a metre, two metres high. It would have been quite easy trekking across this bit. Shackleton, as you'll remember, tried to, when endurance sunk, he tried to make it across these ice. He tried to walk, dragging those rowing boats, those lifeboats. He tried to walk to the Antarctic Peninsula or an island. But he wasn't able to do so. The going was so slow, he could only manage a mile, maybe two miles a day. And he would have run out of food if they attempted to keep doing that. And the reason was because of the humps and bumps, the great sort of ridges that he had to pull these boats over. This ice flow would have been good going for him, though. I love getting out here. I love getting out here, partly because you see penguins and you see seals. It's fun to watch the scientists. The scientists come alive when they're allowed off the ship and they have to wait for these subsea marine archaeologists to get on with their work. They go, ah, fine. They're, in their view, the real reason for being down here is doing experiments on the ice and snow on this pack. Uh, the ship is probably a slightly tiresome little side feature. They want to get measuring snow, looking at flakes. Who can blame them? Fascinating stuff. And they start running around the ice having a great old time now. Oh, look at that. The science has come out. And in the distance, I can see a giant iceberg. So that's very different to these ice flows I'm on. An iceberg is a, is a gigantic chunk of the continental ice sheet that has broken off, carved off, they call it, and is now floating in the sea and eventually working its way north. And that stands very proud of the sea ice. I mean, that's, that could be 20, 30 metres high over there. It looks like an island. It looks like a huge island, cliffs great sea cliffs surrounding it of ice in the distance, probably a few miles away. It's nice to be out on the ice because, you know, it's quite claustrophobic on the ship. You're on this ship, we've been on there for about three weeks now, and you, you eat and you chat and you work alongside everyone. There's a limited amount of communal space. So when you're out on the ice, it's the furthest I've been. In fact, I'm now standing 200 metres from the rest of my crew. It's probably the furthest I've been um, from anybody else in 
the last month. So there you go. That's what it's like on board ship. But it's, it's beautiful out here. And, you can, and there's also nothing's ever silent on the ship. You can always hear the humming of equipment, the beeping, the crashing, the crunching of gears as we go through the ice, particularly the grinding of the ice around the hull. So it's never quiet. On the ice, finally, you can come to a place where it's quiet and it's peaceful. I'm looking over there. There's a colony of penguins, probably 200 metres away from me now. They seem to frequent these kind of knobbly... They like the bits that stand proud, so these bits of snow and ice that stand clear of the pack. I think they obviously can find shelter behind there from the wind, so they're all clustered on there now, looking at us, wondering what on earth we're doing. So while we're on the ice, I thought I might talk to uh, Steffi, the German ice scientist, about what she is up to. Let's go and have a chat with her. Steffi, how are you doing? I'm doing perfectly on the ice floe. Yeah, look, I've been watching you. On that boat, you're like a chained animal. You're like a caged animal. This is your happy place, right? Definitely. Whenever I'm on the ice, when I'm allowed to dig in the snow, so I'm totally into it. And every time I see you, you're just in, you are literally digging in the snow. You are, you're, you're digging into the ice. What, what are you looking for today? Today I was looking again just for like snow crystal structures and today it was super exciting and super nice because I saw the first time on that expedition depth hole. Those are like my most favorite snow grains and they are just beautiful and so I'm super excited and happy today. There's probably a joke somewhere about your favorite kind of snow and I should be jealous but I, I don't know what that joke is so I'll just park it there. So what's particular about this particular kind of snow that you saw today? So basically it ruled given that it's so cold. So I mean we experienced the last day's temperature below minus 10. So therefore those crystals then can just like grow because of the strong temperature gradient because the ice is pretty warm. For me warm is minus 1.8. <laughs> and the atmosphere is super cold with like minus 10, minus 15. And then those super nice grains can form and that's just beautiful. Every time we stop the ship, the underwater guys do their thing. You couldn't care two hoots about that. You're off the bows. You're doing your thing. What do you want to get from this whole trip? Well, from the whole trip, I get an idea on how does the sea ice change probably over the last couple of years, especially in a year where we had now again a rather low sea ice extent in Antarctica and especially in the Weddell Sea. But in addition, and this is what excited me the last day even more, is that the ice flows we are now standing on are part of an ice regime that just drifted in that area from the eastern part of the Weddell. And on exactly that regime, I was standing already one year ago in the eastern Weddell. So this is why it's like super like kind of twice exciting for me. That's so cool. So you're yes. seeing this for the second time? Yeah, like kind of. So at least it's the same ice regime, yes. And this is why it's scientifically super interesting to see how did the sea ice and the snow evolve over that year drift uh, through the Waddell. And now to get back to the history, that's what's so interesting about the Waddell for the historians, because this is unusual in the Antarctic in that the, ice, the sea ice lasts more than one year, right? Elsewhere around the Antarctic, it will mostly melt in the summer, will it? Yes, so the summer sea ice extent is mainly driven by the sea ice remaining in the Weddell Sea. So we have also some um, older ice patches in the Ross Sea, but most of the uh, older ice, meaning like second or third year ice, is situated in the western Weddell Sea, yes. So Shackleton trying to come in, and they didn't really know that, so Shackleton trying to come in here, even in the summer, was a very stupid thing to do, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's never stupid to go to the ice, but I mean, it was of course, there was not much known about drift, it was not much known about the currents, about how thick the ice would get, how they would be transported to, so therefore it was, it was a real adventure, I would say. There were some uh, women who applied to go on Shackleton's expedition, he rejected them out of hand, he said no women at all. What's it like being a 
you know, pioneering female high latitude ice scientist. Yeah, it's still, it feels like that it's still kind of special. So there's still not that many females. So the female rate is increasing actually. So I mean, also our German Polar Institute is led by females since many, many years. So we have also female and leading females in polar science, but it's, we are still like the, the less part of, of the cake, I must admit. <laughs> What's it like being in that position? Do you notice it day to day? Yeah, I think I do not notice it that strong anymore. So I think I, I noticed it in earlier years more because there I was not only the female, but I was also the really young female. I mean, okay, I'm still young, <laughs> but <laughs> not that young anymore. So therefore I think like I have now my standing in the field of science I'm working in. Therefore it doesn't matter whether I'm male or female. What about Shackleton always said, I dream of returning to the ice. What is it about the ice that keeps you coming back? That it's also still there and that I hope, of course, that it will remain stay, staying here and that I can still learn so much from it, like over the past, but also for the future, for the future generation. And, and this is what makes me super exciting about it. And it's also, I think, what I really love about my research here is that it's so easy to transport back home in terms of stories, in terms of uh, visuals, in terms of just like explaining people what I'm doing and why it's important to do it for climate change and also like to motivate younger generations also to continue exactly that work. Thanks, Jeffy. I'll take it too much of your time. Get back to it. I do. You listen to Dan Snow's history. I'm in Antarctica. More coming up after this. How can you tell if your neighbour is a witch? If you're obsessed by witches, then maybe there's something wrong. How would you go about painting Henry VIII? I think Henry's a monster, and so I see a sort of puffed-up, balloon-faced, impotent guy. Would you invite Oliver Cromwell to dinner? There's no point in having Cromwell to dinner, other than to be entertained with his heavily skewed version of events. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and in my podcast, Not Just the Tudors, we talk about everything, from ballads to banqueting, sex to spying, ghosts to gunpowder plots. In other words not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, everyone. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called Mysteries at the Museum from Travel Channel. It's narrated by my good friend and host of American History hit, Don Wildman. On Mysteries at the Museum, Don travels across the US to find objects that tell shocking stories of American history. 
You'll hear about the portrait linked to the first bank robbery in American history and about the failed invention from World War II that became one of the most popular toys for kids. Uncover the secrets behind these incredible objects and learn about the history of war, science, crime, and everything in between. You're going to love this podcast all about the remarkable objects in our treasure houses that are museums. Please go and check it out. Mysteries at the Museum from Travel Channel. So we're now breaking through this ice, Captain Knowledge. What makes this ship so good at doing this? Is it, it, obviously, it's specially, it has special design features. Yeah, no, the way that she's, she's obviously designed is to slide over the ice and then use its weight to crush the ice. Okay, but the, the specification of this vessel is to break uh, one meter thick ice at five knots. So the one meter thick ice at five knots, it's a continuous speed without having to back and ramp. But anything thicker than that, she will run until she can't run anymore. And then we have to back out. Reverse. And, and then, then go again, yeah. And at the moment, with the Weddell Sea, you seem to be able to move around this search area very easily. Yeah, because of most of the ice is predominantly is the first year ice. So it's within the specification of the vessel. However, it's starting to get a bit more consolidated, looking at the open water getting less and less, but because it's first year ice, she's still able to move around. Yeah. How many years have you been doing this ice piloting and captaining in these waters? Since 2012, but I've been involved uh, in Antarctic uh, since 2003. So I've, that's my first time I came to Antarctica and I've been on and off. I think this is my 14th time to Antarctica now. <laughs> within the space of, let's say, 20 years. Do you enjoy this challenge, this environment, or would you like to be a captain in hot seas? Because it must be difficult for you. Oh, I think it, it grows on you, you know, and uh, if I go on other vessels which are less challenging, I get bored, and uh, <laughs> partly because I think I like the, uh, dealing with different uh, people and having continuous operations and having to make those critical decisions. I think it's something that it starts off as an abuse and then once you get addicted to it and you can't shake it off. So that is the one bad thing about this vessel. And when you go on other vessels, you realize, but I'm doing 40% or 30% uh, of what I do when I'm on the colors. Unfortunately, you can't say, well, there's more workload on the colors. I need more pay, doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's it like, though, for you, because you're a historic figure, you know, you're the first um, African ice pilot, so many firsts. Yeah. Has that been pressure on you, or do you not, just, do you not think about that? It has at the beginning, but then it also motivated me to, to transfer the skills quite quickly, uh, which I'm just in most cases intending to do. We probably noticed that the third officer was almost driving most of the time because, you know, you can't teach experience. You just, the person needs to get the feel of, of how the vessel behaves and how, and have that relationship with the vessel. So I just more piloting now and again, but also just to see how we judging his decision making. But it has in a, in a way put some pressure but now it's, I've been a captain now for like 10 years 
I think and I've transformed in a way that I do things or I manage the vessel. Yeah, so Is this something that when you were a kid you dreamed you'd be doing? Because everyone <laughs> dreams about being captain of a huge ship, right? Is this something you thought about when you were a kid? Hell no. Really? <laughs> Strange enough, I wanted to be a doctor and uh, specialise in gynaecology. Okay. Yeah, so unfortunately my next door neighbour was a seaman. He, he was a bosun, working for a tanker a company. So when the opportunity started opening up uh, for everyone, as you know, history of our country, so he became a training officer for Unicorn, uh, doing short courses, you know, your survival, first aid at sea. He then started bringing me pamphlets to say, listen, I think you have the brains, do you mind venturing into sea going? At the time, I was just going to high school. So then every time he just kept on feeding me and planting the seed that gets, I guess, it germinated. Then I started swaying away from my initial dream of being a medical doctor. And that's how actually it all started. So from my school, I went straight to study my return studies without any hesitation. As I'm listening to you talking, I know we're getting off the subject here, but as I'm listening to you talking, I think, how different are your kids to the way you grew up? And now that South Africa's changed so much, do they think that they could do anything in the whole world? Yeah, no, it's, it's completely different. I mean, it's all integrated. It's, Everyone is treated the same. They go to multiracial schools. I mean, I grew up from Umlazi Township, where you know probably your, my teachers uh, received Bantu education. They transferred that to me, but my kids have been living a normal life. I think they have same opportunities like anyone if they need to study abroad or whatever. It's all open now because when we grew up, we were limited on jobs that you can dream of, but they can dream of doing anything. So it was kind of difficult for a person like me, or Captain Michael for that sake, to actually dream of something that you know it's out of reach. You know, you just, there's a wall, you know. So then when everything started opening up, then you then knew that, okay, you will raise the kids to understand that and now the sky is not delimited. Does it make you very proud knowing that there's other kids all around the world watching you now and realising because of you, what you've achieved, the sky's the limit for them? Yeah, it is quite, hence I'm, I'm, I don't hesitate to participate because I know the importance of actually having to know about something that you thought it was out of reach early enough because then you can start dreaming towards the goal. So it's quite good for me and fulfilling, you know that I believe I can actually inspire and make an impact. Captain Norris, thank you very much for having us aboard. Yeah, right, thank, thank you, you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Dan Snow's History. I really appreciate listening to this podcast. I love doing these podcasts. It's a highlight of my career. It's the best thing I've ever done. And your support, your listening is obviously crucial for that project. If you did feel like doing me a favour, if you go to wherever you get your podcasts and give it a review, give it a rating, obviously a good one, ideally, then that would be fantastic and feel free to share it. We obviously depend on listeners, depend on more and more people finding out about it, depend on good reviews to keep the listeners coming in. Really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.